Welcome to the Glasgow Girls Club podcast, where we chat to inspirational folks throughout the city about living their best lives and encourage our listeners to grow and glow. This podcast is sponsored by Hashtag Organics. Hashtag Organics is an innovative and passionate industry leader specialising in the development of CBD-based products for the UK and international market. Their ever-expanding product range is the result of dedicated CBD research, cutting-edge science and increased demand by the public who are looking to achieve an optimum state of health. All Hashtag Organics products are 100% organic, non-GMO, ethically sourced and suitable for vegetarians and vegans. In addition, all products and processes are fully compliant with UK regulatory bodies. Hashtag Organics products are 100% THC free, meaning they are safe, legal to use in the UK and won't get you high. The brand's slogan is grown in nature defined by science due to the fact the source of their products is from hemp plant grown in the best possible conditions, but their formulations are a result of the most cutting-edge laboratory, science-backed research and extraction. This marks Hashtag Organics as one of the most premium and pioneering on the market. The company's main retail presence is in pharmacies in the UK, giving customers that trusted environment to buy, and that is also testament to the quality and integrity of the brand. For more information, visit www.hashtagorganics.co.uk or follow the brand on Facebook and Instagram at Hashtag Organics CBD. And as a partner of the GGC website, Web Club members can now enjoy 20% off the full Hashtag Organics range. For more information, log on to your account now or sign up at www.glasgowgirlsclub.com. Hello and welcome to the GGC podcast. My name is Laura McGuinness and every week I'm out and about in the city interviewing some inspirational folks for y'all. On this week's podcast, I catch up with Les Graham. To say that Les Graham is a woman of many talents is a complete understatement. She is a woman with a mass of talent and in many different industries. Female empowerment coach, dog behavioralist, author, kinesiologist and someone who is actually part of a team of recoders who worked tirelessly to ensure the millennium did not shut all systems down. Yes, there was actually people doing that. So in this podcast, we chat about firewalking, dog behaviour techniques and discover how you can actually judge a person by their facial features. So lots of topics covered. I think this will be one that you all love. So without further ado, over to Les. So hi Les, Graham. Hello. Thank you so much for joining me on the GGC podcast. Oh, my pleasure. Thank you for having me. Oh, not at all, not at all. I just think that you are a woman with a massive talent, as I have previously mentioned, because you've got expertise in a range of different fields, but actually, as we were chatting about before the podcast, there's a real connection between them. Yes, yeah, there is. So I think we should, if we can just start from the beginning, Les, in terms of your career, because you've had a very colourful career, you've been all around the globe, so let's delve into that a wee bit and then we'll chat about the kind of main areas of expertise that you've got. Oh my goodness. So, um, Craigie, I left Townside in 86. Okay. So I left left my home when I was eight, uh, in 86. I'd been a riding instructor when I left school and then I had an accident, couldn't work with horses. So I damaged okay. my pelvis and was told no riding, no working horses. Um went into a sewing factory, hated it. So then I moved down south, I moved down to Worthing. Okay. Where my sister was. Okay. And started off as a dog's body in an office. Okay. Um, which actually I loved. All of a sudden I was wearing suits instead of stinking horses. <laughs> so that was really interesting. And um, and then from there, I did a City and Guilds home study computer programming course. Okay. And so I was doing that uh, on the night time and I was working behind a bar and I was working... Uh, in the newspaper okay, and teaching people how to ride on weekends to try and make ends meet so I could afford my bed sit, my one room bed sit in Worthing okay. and then I got a break and got an IT and then worked my way up in IT okay. and and ended up as a, a project manager on the year 2000 project which I absolutely loved it was so exciting and it was you know, having this massive deadline that you couldn't move at all and you had to hate, otherwise everything would fall apart. So this is literally when everyone was like, the millennium's coming and everything's going to crash. Yeah, 
And what were you doing around that then? That's amazing. I, I was managing teams. So we, we were going through and we were amending the code. Okay. To make sure that on the turn of midnight, I was working for Mountain Express, make sure that on the turn of midnight, uh, you could still get money out. Okay. That the bank wouldn't give you loads and loads of money, that your credit card wouldn't end up, you know, being seized and all of this lot. And uh, it was just really exciting. We were taking systems out, putting systems in. I was responsible for you at Middle East and Asia, so massive area within oh Amex. I know it was <laughs> a pretty massive area. It was it was great. And you have people now say no, it was just a con, but actually it wasn't. It was really scary. So some of the code we were looking at went back to nineteen seventies. Right. And nobody expected the code to be working thirty years later and so they hadn't they hadn't put the algorithm in to flip over into uh, two zero, you see. Okay. And it would have fallen apart. It would have. It would have been a nightmare. So. So it because, actually, would have. Yeah, it would have because we did such a good job with the code changes. Yes. Everyone was like, "Oh, it was just a hoax. It was a hoax, but it was a mess." Oh my One goodness. of the guys we used to work with went off to the organ transfusion. Um, the, the where the the transported the organs for organ transfusion. Okay. And he said, you know, the organs would have just died. The systems were a mess. And, and again, systems that had been around for 30 years. Yeah. Nobody was expecting them to still be running the same code. So that was really exciting. Um, that is exciting. Were you it was... When they see me the bell told midnight, were you absolutely shitting yourself? <laughs> yes. <laughs> <laughs> and what a relief. No, fine. <laughs> we, I wasn't actually working um, on the Millennium. I was at my mates partying. <laughs> priorities <laughs> so that was really funny but yeah it was it was really cool and then after that I got put on the euro which is quite hysterical now seeing as we're you know leaving uh, yes and getting the systems ready for handling the euro but by then I was really bored it was all okay. the excitement had gone out of it okay and um and I was still seeing a kinesiologist I started seeing a kinesiologist called Linda Pudney because uh, just living on caffeine and nicotine and Marmite sandwiches really wrecked my digestive system. Oh, Jesus. And so she was helping keep me right, and I just really fell in love with kinesiology. And, and so tell us what kinesiology is then, because I've only first heard about it through you. Oh, it's it's amazing, actually. So I specialise in something called 3 one Concepts Kinesiology, which was developed by three people, Um and that come directly from touch something called Touch for Health, which okay. a chiropractor called John Thee developed. And he developed it from applied kinesiology. So uh, uh, there were seven chiropractors. They were called the Magnificent Seven okay. in the late 60s. Right. And uh, George Goodhart, who headed it up, he found that his chiropractic corrections weren't always holding. And so he looked at traditional Chinese medicine the meridian system okay and he pulled in some information from that put it together and called it applied kinesiology okay. and what you do is it's working with the the 14 uh primary meridians and you muscle test uh so you'd put the arms and the legs in different positions mm-hmm. and you put a little bit of pressure on them monitor the muscle response and that would tell you if there was any um any of the circuits in the body were broken or or lacking integrity. Right. And then using muscle monitoring again, you can work out what you need to do to put the body back into its optimum health. So we work with the neurolymphatic system, the neurovascular system, um, food. We work physically with the muscles okay. and we work with the meridian system. Okay. So that's touch for health and that comes from applied kinesiology. The kinesiology I specialised in was three and one. And that is um, my favourite part of three and one is behavioural genetics. Okay. And it's called, also called physiognomy. It's called face reading. So you can look at somebody's face and this is where you're going to look away from me. You can look <laughs> at somebody's face and from the structure of the, the physical structure, you can see how they will behave in a stress response. Very interesting. OK, so looking <laughs> at my face, Liz, how would I react? Like, what would you say? Oh my goodness! Okay, so Put you, just, on the you have to relax your face a okay. bit. Okay. Now, first of all, are you sure? Are you sure you don't mind me doing this? Because I'm gonna. I am sure. Find personal stuff here. Do it. You sure? Hundred percent. Okay. So you are becoming more concise in your 
chat. So you are you are starting to get it's called teacher lines, where mm-hmm. um when you communicate, you want to know that what you've said has been understood and understood fully. And so you'll keep saying the same thing in different words until you know people have got it. Okay. So you're developing that skill. Okay. You like feedback. Yes. Okay. So you're not. You don't automatically. Um, you're not instinctively independent. You like to know you're doing a good job. Yeah. Like to be totally doing a good job. Yep. Um, move your fringe out of the way. Okay. So you're not smiling now. <laughs> That's okay. I'm on your eyes. Now. I'm like. I'm on your eyes. Okay. Now. Okay. So you can be quite direct at times, rather than justifying. So you're more inclined to say yes or no rather than going tick 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 tick. Can I do this? Can I not do it? And have these conversations in your head where you're justifying to yourself all of the time. Okay. You've got a dramatic streak, which is your eyebrows. Okay. Um, let me have a look. You can... <laughs> <laughs> I'm really staring at your face. So <laughs> you... Uh, uh, right. I would say you pay more attention to detail at work than you do at home. So at home, time gets away from you. But yes. at work, you can be quite focused and, yes. and get drilled down to the detail. You're really optimistic. You tend to focus on the positive rather than on the negative. You are inclined to take things personally. Yeah. And and appearances make I mean a lot. You turn sideways. Let me have a look. Yeah. Um. You're trusting. You're not a real touchy-feely person. You're more an administrator mm-hmm. rather than administrating. Okay. And um, you are spontaneously generous. You're quite determined and uh, you can come across as being authoritative and you're adventurous. Okay. There you go. And you could just do that by looking at my face. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> the way you are honestly spot on there. Particularly the part about the details, so like the house, I just like it all goes to pot. See when I'm not focused on like the business, I just like everything goes to, like in the house. I'm just like oh, I can't even think about it. <laughs> so that's so true. Yeah. Adventurous, yeah. God, you're so right. Like you're spot on. It's amazing. So that's just something that you've learned by looking at various aspects of a person's face, lines. Shapes. Didn't do the lines. That was purely. Um, well, the only lines that I did was Were these ones. Was here? the ones that run from your nose down to your chin. Okay. So I haven't done like the empathy lines or the focusing lines. Right. The, yeah, because there's different lines on your face mean different things, and you're not born with the lines to develop. And it's the same with um, the nose. All yeah. noses are really really interesting. So all babies' noses look exactly the same. Yeah. They're all scoop nose. They've all got like a ski jump nose, and they're always upturned. Yeah. And then as you start developing your personality and you start going through puberty and the face really changes, yeah. then your nose will either straighten, it'll be cut, and and depending on the personality, so um, a minister. Um, uh, a, a touchy person so babies have got a real minister's face okay as in they like to be touched okay and they have to be like that so yeah so babies are born with this scoop nose okay and then be, because that makes us want to touch them so when you look actually if you look at your dog's face the way the, the breeding has changed with these is we have made them very much of a baby's face so they've got the big broad forehead yes the little nose upturned yep and uh, not a very prominent chin. Yeah. And this is a classic baby's face. We want to administer to them, we want to look after them, we want to touch them and nurture them. Yeah. And that's why things like the Pugs, the uh, the Bostons and so on, um, the Frenchies, they've all been bred more and more to look that way. And we're really drawn to them because yeah. they've got this lovely baby's face okay, about them. Okay, that's quality. interesting. So then when babies go through puberty and you see the faces change that's when their personalities are developing and whether they're going to be uh, touchy-feely, whether they're going to be trusting, cynical, pragmatic administrators, that is all known, That that's all around their nose and so their noses will change as oh. they go through puberty. <laughs> so, like, literally... I teach this. This is a course that I run. Oh, it's this, really cool. This is so, so interesting. Um, but it's amazing and if you look, one of the, the faces that we'll look at on the workshop is uh, Daniel Radcliffe. Yes. Because he was prominent before he went through puberty. And so you look at his lovely child's face with his little upturned nose. Yeah. And then you see him um, in Equus when he's just gone through puberty. Yeah. And then you see him again at the last Harry Potter film. And then you see him doing his latest stuff. Yeah. 
his face has just transformed and you can just see how his personality has developed. Right. And his traits have developed over the years because because he was so well known as a child, you can really see what's going on with his nose. He's got like he's become a, a, got a bit of a cynic's nose now rather than a trusting nose and it's just really interesting. And I love doing the politicians. I mean, oh my goodness, doing Theresa May oh. alongside <laughs> Nicola Sturgeon is just fantastic. Politicians, like, you just, I mean, who trusts who trusts a politician these days? It's like, so that would be a very interesting thing at your class to hear. It's really interesting. And, right, okay, so this is, a, this is brand new information to me, this, Liz. I never even knew this was a thing. Yeah, oh, it's fantastic. So, um... Uh, Daniel Whiteside so there was three people who did um, three month kinesiology yeah. there was oh I can see it's Gordon Stokes okay. and he was the, he was one of the original Touch for Health uh, trainers okay. so he, he trained trainers he was one of the faculties and then there was Daniel Whiteside and it was Daniel Whiteside's dad who worked with a high court judge in the States okay. I can't remember off the top of my head the judge's name and they worked together and they um, monitored the criminals and they read their faces and they started mapping faces and they mapped something like 62 traits on the right. on people's faces okay. and took it forward from there. Um, and then the other lady was called Candice and she did the spiritual side of three and one. Okay. Uh, but as far as the physiognomy is concerned, there's a lady called Naomi Tickle such an amazing name. That she, amazing. She's got an amazing name. She's such a lovely woman. Okay. She'll go down to like inths of a millimetre using calibers to get the face, facial, facial measurements and stuff. Right. And I don't go that far. Um, she has very kindly, uh, she supplies me my books for my courses. Okay. Because she knows that I've done three and one. Yeah. And so I get my books direct from Naomi and I use Naomi's books. Okay. Uh, for teaching and we do a little project on the course. And, and we, we I'm not going to give too much away, but you learn face reading on the course and then you go off and you have a month to do your own project and then we'll all come back together and we go through what you've done and um, and tweak it, you know, so you get a real in-depth understanding. It's fantastic. So if you're a therapist, if you're working with people, if you're a teacher, okay, teacher, it's fantastic for teachers because you can watch your students come in and you can go, well, they need the whole picture. They like the bottom line information. They're touchy-feely. They, their chatter boxes, we're going to have to watch the time with them. Right, okay. And you can just do this really quick summary of who's coming in your room. It's awesome. That is it's phenomenal. It's good fun, and I love teaching it. So do you... So obviously when you meet, meet people then, you know how that whole thing, like first impressions, don't judge someone in first impressions, don't judge a book by a cover? You genuinely can. I... I can, but I don't. So I try not to. When I did my studying, it was really good because I was a kinesiologist and I, was, I used to sit on the train every day from Worthing to Brighton, you know, half an hour on the train. I used to sit there with a book open, my sunglasses on. Just staring at every now and again, I'd turn a page. <laughs> <laughs> and you would, you would hear people talk. It's called talking that structure. Okay. And so I, I can remember this. these two girls one day, they were, they were sitting over here, and... Um, one of the girls was complaining that her boyfriend uh, never told her he loved her. Right. But he would give her presents, and I was going, oh. so I had a little look, and I thought, yeah, she's got a full top lip, which means that um, y- y- you you can, uh, you can talk about your feelings, you know, you're very verbose, and okay. you can express yourself very easily. And I thought, I bet he's got a really thin top lip and a really big bottom lip, which is spontaneous generosity. Okay. And it's just, it's so funny. Can, and that's basically that. what it is for him. He's more. That's how he shows his. He gives rather than says. Ah, interesting. Yeah. Okay. So it can make a massive difference to relationships and and you know mothers and children as well. If you've got a real, we call it broad shield face, a real broad shield face way, um, innately confident. You know, yep. so so the kind of people who they're just born confident. Yeah. The the thing they can do everything, which quite often they can't, but the thing they can. Yeah. Um, if you've got a mum like that and you've got a child who is uh, narrow through the eyes, they have to earn that confidence. Right. Like us. Okay. Uh, people think we're innately confident yeah. and it's our adventurous cheeks. Okay. People think, oh, okay. you've got a really confident face. Right. But actually you've got to earn your confidence. Yes. And you'll have times where you feel really nervous and you feel really unsure of yourself. Yeah. 
and you're thinking, oh my god, why am I doing this? And who can I phone? And yes, all the time. Why are you putting yourself through this again? Laura? Yeah, yeah, I'm the same. I'm exactly the same. But you're like okay, exactly the same. <laughs> but people think you're confident, and it's because you've got these ah. um, apples for cheap for okay. cheese, which is adventurousness. Okay. Um, and, and so if you have a child with a really long, like narrow through the eyes, yep. They have to earn that confidence and, and they have to really, what's it, put that courage to the sticking place to actually try everything and okay. they have to, it takes a lot for them to do things. Yeah. So if you've got this real gung-ho mum yeah. and a non-confident child and mum's going, come on, you can do it, let's just get in there. Yeah. And the child's going, I can't do it, I can't do it. <laughs> then that can cause conflict between right. mum and child and it can really destroy the child's confidence. Okay. And so this is why we learn it as a kinesiologist so yeah. that you can really help sort out relationships and help people get over issues you can say you know well you're reacting like that because of your facial structure this is amazing okay so when are you next doing sorry like... i threw you a curveball no there, but didn't this, I? this is like <laughs> i love this i love like hearing new amazing facts and because you were so spot on when you were talking through my stuff as well i'm like right when are you doing a next so you say that you teach this as a course then yeah um october and november Right, I think, okay. it's a, I think it's the 23rd of October and the 23rd of November. And that's at Houston House at Livingston. Houston House, right, okay. Well, what I'll do when I post this podcast is I'll put links okay. to your website because you can get tickets on your website, isn't it? Yeah. Right, perfect. Because we'll, I'm sure there'll be a lot of people listening to this that think, wow. Because really, it's every day, really. It's not just... It's not just work, working things. It's, no, no, it's a skill that would help you with everyday relationships. Yeah. So, right, okay, excellent. So that's in the calendar. You right. also do other types of empowerment things as well, don't you? Because you, you do the fire walking, you do, yeah. you do, I mean, you do a lot. I do, I do. Um, empowerment-wise, I, uh, I had writer's block a few years ago and could not, Right for love, no money. Okay. And I decided that I felt really lost um, spiritually and didn't know which way to turn. So I thought I'm going to do a fire walk, as you do. As you do. <laughs> so I did a fire walk and, and the, one of the things that they did to get you to the point of being ready to walk on fire was putting an arrow to your throat. Okay. Um, a, a proper arrow. Yeah. You, you know, a wooden arrow with a metal tip. And you put the metal tip to your throat. Yeah. And then you step into it and you break the arrow with your throat. And that's, yeah, I I thought, I can't do it. I can't do this. I was, you know, I was really lost. I was, I'd had my thumb rebuilt a couple of months earlier, so I was in a cast. Okay. And um, I dragged my husband along, as you, as you do, you know. Like, of course. Uh, adventurous, but not confident. <laughs> Um, come along, I need I need a, a, a bit of a confidence boost. Yes. Come with me, Kenny. So yeah. he did. And we were offered to um, video it. And, and Kenny said to me, do you want me to video it? And I says, no, I'm not going to be able to do it. And I don't want this on video for the rest of my life. Yeah. You know, being a real failure. And I was feeling a bit of a failure anyway. And I did it. I was shaking like a leaf. And I did it. And it was awesome. It was just the most amazing I just thought, oh my God, I've just broken an arrow in my throat. But then from a spiritual perspective, um, it sits right in the centre of your throat chakra, which okay. is a communication centre. Right. And communicating, um, creativity and all of that. Lot. Okay. And I got rid of my writer's block. The fire was fine. It was like my feet were really cold. I couldn't wait to put my shoes back on because I was so cold. But it was the arrow break that did it for me. And I okay. thought, I want to do this for other women. I want to, you know, I've I've... I had a rough time with going through the menopause and everything, okay. and I thought I really want to help other women who go through wobbly moments. Yeah, um, find their inner inner sass. As yes, I, I love that. And uh, so I thought, right, how do I go about being able to teach this? Okay. And the way you do it is by becoming a firewalk instructor because right. that's part of the whole empowerment thing. So I went off down to Peterborough last year with Firewalk UK and did the firewalk instructor training, which was four days in Hensa. Who starts at nine in the morning, finishes at half two the next morning, then you're back in at nine again. Oh my goodness! To do right. it all over again. Okay. And it was amazing. Okay. It, it was amazing. So we we learned. Um, I won't tell you all of it because okay, you, you know there's a lot in there that's not advertised. Okay. Amazing, but at the end of it, you can teach um, fire walking, uh, board breaking, where you break a board, a wooden board with your bare hand. Uh, 
breaking concrete blocks with your bare hand, which we did. Rebar bending, which is, it's, do you know the rebars, the reinforcing bars that go in the, in, in um, houses, you know, they're like eight foot long metal rods. I think I know what you're talking about, yeah. Okay, so you have two people, one at one end of it and one at the other, and you have it at your throat and you walk together and bend it between you. So we can teach that. How is this even possible? It's amazing, and glass walking, and, oh. and so... When I did that, I thought, I, I want help with them. So I designed a course. Originally, I called it um, Find Your Voice, Speak Your Truth, but I'm probably going to call it Girls and or Goddesses and Girls or Girls and Goddesses. Oh, yeah. And it'll have some of them in there, but not all of them. Okay. And it's about letting go of the past, being in the moment, and then moving forward into the future mm-hmm. and just getting in touch with your power. Okay. And then there'll be a fire walk, which will be separate, or it'll be part of it, but it won't. I don't want to run firewalks in the summer. I only want to run them in the winter. Okay. Uh, so if I run them in the summer, then it won't include a firewalk. Right, okay. Oh, wow. So, I mean, how do you feel? Obviously, you get your training, and that's something you'd be giving people, like, the mindset. Mm-hmm. How does it actually feel to walk through fire? I find it really cold. I mean, so it's that's bizarre. That's like the exact opposite of what... I mean, it, 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 it's hot. Yes. It is hot. But, you, you know, you're standing in your bare feet in wet grass. Yes. And uh, I have cold feet anyway. Okay. And so the first time I walked across it, all I could think about was um, how cold my feet were. Which is amazing. so ironic? I know. It's, <laughs> it's, and I said to my husband, we were offered to do a partner's walk. Okay. And when we when we went across it individually, and I, and I said, "Can you do you want to go for it again?" And he said, "No." And I said, "Oh, thank God for that. My feet are freezing. I put my socks and shoes on. I couldn't wait." Oh my goodness! I was right. so cold. But then um, the second time you do the walk, it's I found it scarier the second time than the first time because I knew I was going to be walking on like a thousand degree heat. Whereas the first time you saw boiled up, the second time you go, "Oh God, that is really hot," you know. Right. Okay. Um, but it's amazing. Oh, I mean, it does. It's, it's, it's amazing. It sounds amazing, and I, and I can imagine what it does for you inside is massive and like your it mind. Is. Okay, great. So, another massive thing that you have done, <laughs> which I'm just like <laughs> wowed by, is your dog, your work with dogs, and your books. So, tell us about that. Oh, my goodness. Well, I got into dog behavior through kinesiology. Okay. So, most things come from that. Yes. So, um, there's a thing in kinesiology called surrogacy. Okay. Where you can uh, transfer energy through you and out the other side. So if you think you look really shocked. So when you're little, you're told, don't, put, don't touch anybody who's having an electric shock because you'll get the electric shock. Yes. Use wood to yes. move them. So that's the basis of it. So if I was touching you, we yep. would be sharing energy by yes. that principle of electricity. Okay. And so what happens is in kinesiology, when you learn touch for health, you learn surrogacy, which allows you to muscle test somebody or something that can't be muscle tested. Okay. So a child, baby, or yep. a, a dog. And I was doing Reiki with dogs and horses at the time, looking for something to add into it. Discovered kinesiology. Okay. Fantastic. So I was doing kinesiology on people and dogs and horses. Yep. And then when I moved to New Zealand... Um, there's no laws for working with animals out there. Whereas over here, you've got the veterinary, uh, 1962 Veterinary Exemptions Act. Okay. Which means you've got to work under a vet. Okay. You can't just go, I couldn't do your dog now, I'd have to get permission right. in writing from your vet to be able to work with your dog. Okay. Um, And so I got more and more into working with animals in New Zealand. Got more and more into the behaviour side of it. So I'd be working on a dog, maybe sorting its back out or its right. jaw out. And... Uh, kind of doing a behaviour consult with the owner as well. Yeah. Because it's a normal, like, he does this at home or he does that at home. And it's going, okay, well, I'll try this and try that. And I got more and more into the behaviour side of it. Um, wrote a course to train kinesiologists to work with animals. Did a massive part on the difference between prey animals and predators. So mm-hmm. when you work with an animal, uh a predator response will have a different response to a prey animal. Yeah. So a prey animal it will be more inclined to move away, mm-hmm. whereas a predator, their response 
would be to turn and tell you to back off. Mm-hmm. And so you have different energy depending on whether you're working with a prey animal or a predator animal. Okay. And got taken under the wing of an amazing behaviourist who's no longer with us now, Noel, Noel Hutchinson, and followed him around for two and a half years. Uh, sat outside of the ring watching him teach on the night time. Every Monday night, six hours, I was there with my notebook writing down all of these oh, different behaviourisms and stuff. Dedication. It was amazing. And then went on a couple of consults with him. And then when I came home from New Zealand, uh, I worked as a kinesiologist and as a behaviourist. And then behaviour just kind of became my passion, really. Yeah. And so I decided... Um, the behaviour work wasn't great in this country at that point. We had academics mm-hmm. telling people on the front line how to do their job mm-hmm. and my sense of right and wrong uh, came to the front. Okay. And I thought, how dare these academics who haven't held leads tell us yep. how to do it when we're the ones standing in front of aggressive dogs. Yeah. Um, so I, I got really arsy and decided to do a master's degree in dog behaviour. Like so that I could nice. outrank them academically okay. and uh, from a practical perspective. Okay. So I did it out of sheer, sheer bloody mindedness is why I did my master's degree. Brilliant. Um, and so as part of that, uh, I wrote, me and a couple of other people, wrote the, the standards for dog training in the UK. So I, was, I used to go back and forth to London when I lived down south. And um, so the, the, the dog handling... Uh, the dog handling standard was written by me, Ross McCarthy, and Iris Thompson, who Ross McCarthy is down the London Dog Behaviour Company, okay. and Iris has just moved up to Scotland. Uh, so we wrote the dog handling, and then there was um, guys from the Canine Feline Behaviour Association. Yeah. We wrote the behaviour one. And right, so, okay. yeah, th- so this this is all, there are national dog training standards, and people just aren't aware of them. Because there's lots of different organisations popping up and going, well, we'll train you how to be a dog trainer. No, we'll train you how to be a dog trainer. Right. But none of them are referring back to the national standards. So how do you make something a national standard? Do you get it certified by... How does that... Well, it was it was LANTRA, which is... Oh, God, and I can't remember what LANTRA stands for now. It's something like the land and... Something, 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 yeah. But they, they, and they were were responsible for the national occupational standards in relation to land management and agriculture. Okay. And then uh, the national occupational standards uh, for kinesiology was set up years ago. I was part of that working group as well. Brilliant. But basically, it's a government uh, directive. Okay. And Lantra then contacted all of these different groups and said, can you help us with the dog training standards? And so they're all on the Lantra site. They're all, you know, national standards. And there's loads of them. There's, you know, uh, the dog stuff. There's the land management stuff. There's the animal stuff. There's national occupational standards for pretty much everything. And you can search it online. Yeah. That's brilliant. Okay. online. So you've written these standards then, and then what happened? Because you've obviously... Oh, craggy with dog behaviour. I used to be a tutor for the Cambridge Institute of Dog Behaviour and Training, the CIDBT. Okay. So I tutored with them for five years, and that was good fun. I used to co-teach with Ross McCarthy. Um, and then uh, wrote my, my gun dog training book. So, oh, craggy, when did I write that? So it's been out 10 years next year. Wow. So I wrote it about 12 years ago. Okay. And... When I come back from New Zealand and I was doing lots of behaviour work, I was uh, special. I seem to see a lot of gun dogs. And yep. I've got gun dogs, so they're my passion. Yes. And so lots of gun dogs that weren't having them their mind stimulated at all. Okay. And they were being left in a crate. People went out of work. They weren't walking them, weren't yep. training them, and then wondering why, uh, you know, they were mounting the kids or biting the yep. biting them or you you know decimating the house. And so I started up some gun dog training uh, groups for naughty gun dogs. So primarily okay. it was for naughty gun dogs. Okay. Gun dogs who were biting people who were right. destroying the house. Yeah. And then more and more people wanted to do the gun dog training with me. Okay. And so Kenny, my husband, who does my website, he's amazing. Okay. Uh, I said I need I need a website for my gun dog training to separate it from my behaviour work. Yeah. Because of the insurance company and so on. Yeah. 
And he came up with the term the pet gun dog. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And so my website was called the pet gun dog. And I used to do these classes, you, you know, every week I was on the gun dog training field. And one of the guys who trained with me asked me if I would write a book because I used to do all these handouts and stuff. Okay. And we had a little website that we used to go and do my training videos on. And uh, and in the end, I said, OK, so I wrote a book called The Pet Gun Dog. Yep. And when I started writing it, it just it became massive. And I thought, I can't write a book this big. And it was really scary. Okay. So I split it into three. So I split it into The Pet Gun Dog. The advanced pet gun dog, and then the book that I wrote last was the pet gun dog puppy. Okay. And it took off, and uh, Shooting Times got hold of it. So David Tomlinson, who writes for the Shooting Times, he loved it. Right. And it took off. That was uh, so that would have been twenty ten. It was published. That's amazing. And it's been massive. It's been massive. So uh, the advanced book came next, and then I had to wait until I got a puppy before I could do. The, the, the puppy pet and dog puppy because I needed okay. all the photos. Yeah. Um, and then when we were doing the puppy book, I went back and did DVDs to go with the pet and dog and the advanced pet and dog. And then when I got Dante, who's now five, uh, we went through the whole book and I did three lots of filming with him. So I filmed him at 12 weeks, yep. then at five months and then at 10 months okay. to follow the book. Okay. And so that DVD took a whole year to produce. Oh, wow. And it's just, it's it's phenomenal. Um, you, you know, it's just, it's sold worldwide and I get orders from Australia and everything. It's just amazing. And then 2015, um, I decided that we needed more people doing it because the yeah. thing that makes it very different in the gundog world is that we take into account the pet elements. So we look at um, how the dog would fit in the house and training the dog to go on his bed and relaxing rather than just a kennel dog. Yes. And um, and it's we we make it fun. We make people want to go out and train the dog and and you don't have to have a formal training field. You can train them in the sitting room or you can train yeah. them in a dog walk and and it's not hard handling. Whereas traditionally gun dog training is quite hard. Okay. And so this is very positive it's not permissive okay but it's very positive and motivational okay. and fun yeah and uh so I decided we, we needed trainers out there so I wrote it took me a year to develop um the accredited pep and dog instructor program okay and so 18 months it'll take you from uh from starting it'll take you 18 months to get qualified to train my work and you'll get two level three certificates uh off qual certificates as well and it's fantastic. So I've got, um, I've got a group just about to qualify. They've got they're busy doing their dissertation at the minute. Okay. So fingers crossed. And I've got my current group are coming up in a couple of weeks' time for their first training workshop. Okay. But it's lovely. It's such good fun. I love it. I'm so so glad I did it. Oh, I mean, it's just phenomenal. We were talking about this before we went on the podcast. When you're a dog person, you're obs- you're an obsessive dog person. Yeah. So I think. It's certainly something that really highly interests me. And I guess your your speciality, your focus is pet gun dogs, but yeah. I'm sure your training is so transferable to... What breeds are gun, gun dog breeds? Um, so it's anything that's been bred to work on the field. So you've yes. got um, all of your spaniels. Yes. Uh, anything that's got retriever in the title. So Labrador retriever, golden retriever, okay. Chesapeake Bay. And then you've got your HPRs, which are... Um, normally the European breeds. So okay. You, uh, uh, Weinmaronas, Vigilas, yeah. uh, German Shorehead Pointers. And then you've got the Setters and Pointers, so Red Setters, Golden Setters, English Setters, yep. and the English Pointer. So that's a, lo- that's a lot of breeds. Massive, yeah, massive that's a lot breed. of breeds. Yeah. Brilliant, okay. For people listening that are pet, like dog owners and they've got, maybe they've got the gun, a gun dog breed or maybe they've got another breed, mm-hmm. what would be your tips then so say for example with you've got an aggressive dog so you maybe you've got an aggressive dog with strangers do you have any tips obviously this is disclaimer as in you know these are tips there are relevant courses and there's experts like Les that you could speak to but if you are a pet owner with a dog that's got a wee element of aggression what what would you say is the best way to kind of master it because we spoke about how often it's the owner mm-hmm. 
that's the person that needs to work on their mindset rather than training yeah. of the dog. Yeah. So what types of things? Um, good leadership. Yep. Definitely. Okay. So, say, for example, um, you've got a dog that is a bit balky with strangers. I won't say aggressive because aggression can go from anything to being balky at somebody to repeatedly drawing blood. Right, so okay. Aggression's massive. Too much of a scale there, Too so barky. Right. So if you've got a dog that's barky at strangers, for example, when you're walking down the street, yeah. then uh, you would I would recommend you got a behaviourist out. Okay. Um but what you can do in the meantime is you can elevate your status. Okay. So things like put boundaries in at home. No cities. Liz um, <laughs> is looking at haggis, perched. on the city. Um, but things like what, what you want to do is take away the dog's privileges. So in the dog's world, a low-ranking dog has got absolutely no privileges. Okay. But a senior-ranking dog does. Right. And so uh, the senior rank decides where it's going to sleep, when it's going to eat, what it's going to eat, um, what it's going to chew, yeah. what it's going to lie on, whereas the lower rank doesn't. Okay. And so what you have to do is just demote your dog. Okay. If you like and elevate you. So yeah. you then start calling the shots for the dog and then the dog starts looking to you for making decisions rather than making decisions for itself. Okay. And so we'd see somebody in the street, it might go, um, this is my anthropomorphizing. Yes. The dog might go, There's a stranger, what do you want me to do about it? And you okay. go, simmer down. Whereas if your dog's making all the decisions, yes. it wouldn't consider deferring to you in that instant. Okay, makes so much sense. So boundaries. Boundaries. For your dog. Don't allow them to do things like uh, jump up on chairs and look out the window mm-hmm. and bark at people going past. <laughs> I see that we cheer I, That's what I looked at. She loves it. <laughs> so um, a dog who, who likes to become territorial or bark at strangers and stuff, they quite often like get up high, so they'll, they'll jump up on a chair with their front legs on the windowsill. <laughs> yep, 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 yep. Everybody goes past, so I would stop that immediately. Okay. Because, again, that's the dog taking control yes. of the area. So yep. if you've seen... Have you seen Lion King? Yes. Okay. So there's a bit where... Uh, I can't remember Simba's dad's name. Can you remember Simba's dad's uh, yeah, name? Yeah, is it Mufasa? Yes. Mufasa. So Mufasa standing on the top of Pride Rock yep. with little Simba and he goes, everything you can see is our territory. Yes, that kind yes, yeah. And so if they hadn't been standing at the top of Pride Rock and they'd been standing down yeah. and he said, everything you see is our territory, he might have seen like four feet in front of them. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> so that's what you do with your dog. So your yeah. dog has got this massive view of everything going on around it. Yeah. And it's looking on that as being its territory ways. If you bring it down to floor level, yep. you're, with, you're reducing the size of the territory the dog's got to guard. Okay. You're actually doing your dog a massive favour because it's really stressful mm-hmm. looking after that amount of territory. Yes. And a lot of the time um, when you, you demote the dog, the calm down substantially because they're no longer living at that stress level. Okay. That heightened stress. Okay, and that so makes you're sense as well. Making life much easier for the dog by saying, actually, I just want you to be a dog and have a really good time. I don't want you to have to look after the, the house the and house. you don't have to look at the garden, you don't have to look after the street. Yes. Um so there's that element of it. That okay. makes that makes so much sense. So I would do that first. Okay. When you see somebody in the street, um I wouldn't avoid them necessarily, mm-hmm. but I would take control of the situation. So put your dog in a seat. Yeah. Stop, put your dog in a seat until the person goes past, distract your dog, tell them to look at you, teach them to watch you. Mm-hmm. Um, and also tell them no mm-hmm. if they stop walking. It's strange. I know that's not acceptable. Sit there's a good dog. Yeah, okay. And so you've got that. This is not acceptable behaviour, but as soon as they start doing what you want them to do, praise them. You praise them, you become the best cheerleader, yeah. give them a treat or whatever. Yeah. Um if they're barking at other dogs, then it could be that you're just walking the same walk yeah. every day. And so the dog thinks that's its territory. Okay. And it's territory regarding. So yeah. you start changing your walks. Okay. And the dog will become less possessive about the little walking. About the area. walking, yeah. Do you know what Haggis does in walks? So she she doesn't bark at strangers or anything. So she's got different wee habits, but she doesn't bark at dogs either. But some dogs that walk by, she's happy to just let back go by. But then there'll be a dog that walks by that she just obviously thinks to herself, 
I want to play with that dog. And the way she works is she's quite like a boxer, so she moves towards dogs with her paws and gives them a fright. So they think that she's been aggressive, but actually she's going up and going, right, let's chase each other and run. So then the, the owners often get a bit like, oh, like as though, has she been aggressive? And I don't know, she's trying to play, but it's the way she's gone about it. It's almost like she's walked by them, like, well, I don't care about you. And then she circles back and she's like, boom. And I'm like, I guess I can. And obviously, keep her on the lead is, would stop that. Yes. But she's really good at walking off the leads. Like, she's really, she heals. She does what she's, she's got. And a busy wee thing, as much as she's strong willed, and as you can see, there's a clear difference in uh-huh. I'm on the floor and Haggis <laughs> is elevated up on her pillow. But um, yeah, like, so she's got funny. So, what, is there anything that I could do to stop that? Or is that just. Yeah, I would keep my clothes to you and try to be further away from the dog. <laughs> put her in the lead. <laughs> yeah. Or if she wants to heal off lead, yeah. then just. Heal Get a little bit further on before you really start to play. Yeah. So um, when she runs up behind a dog and goes boom, <laughs> that is really scary for the dog. Of course it is. I, I can see the no dog. Yeah, the dog's like that. Shit. <laughs> yes. <laughs> okay. So yeah, I would um yeah, I would I would just keep on with you a little bit longer. Yeah, and try okay. Yeah. It's, it's, dogs have got so many different habits, don't they? So I yeah. think it's probably worth me actually booking in a separate session with you Liz, to run through Haggis's many different <laughs> And she's great. Oh she's she's great. The one thing that Haggis really struggled with was anxiety as a pup so we got the things like you know you get those plugins which release the hormones of a mother I don't actually know I don't know if we gave it enough time I don't know if maybe it was us that dealt with it better mm-hmm. so but she she's very and as I mentioned to you we unintentionally got her from a puppy farm and we we drove to York to get her so it was wow. one of those ones okay. where we were just like we're taking this puppy because you would then automatically think, okay, we're saving this puppy. But with that, she wasn't socialised with humans. It's not like a wee puppy that's been in a house with a family or anything. Mm. She was in a cage on her own. Her brothers and sisters got taken away and she was in it for maybe about five weeks on her own. Okay. Our mum was taken away and put in a big, massive barn with hundreds of other dogs. It was just a business and I, I just disagree with people that to that level yeah. Of cause, because then the dogs aren't dogs, they're just products. Yeah. And for me, I see her as being a human, which is probably the wrong way as well. <laughs> she probably knows it. But um, I love her so much like my baby. Uh-huh. So it's like for someone just to put... And I could tell when I went into the house, well, I met her mum, and her mum was so starved of human, human attention, she was almost standing on her to get to me. Oh, and I was just like, oh, there's just this... That's not a good situation. No. So I know that that's where her anxieties come from. But someone also did say to me, like, I can be quite a kind of wound up, anxious person. And someone did say to me recently, she's probably reading your anxiety and then she's showing anxiety. So I'm like, oh, God, <laughs> what am I doing to my dog? <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's um, they, they do pick up on that. And if you're really nervous, then, or, you know, you know getting excited or whatever. Yeah. Then the dog will go, well, she's really nervous, there must be something to be nervous about. Yes. Or she's, she's showing anxiety, there must be something to, to be, be anxious, anxious about. about. And so if you're out, what I do with my... Because um, I don't see dogs now because I'm I'm carrying an injury, I'm carrying a soft tissue injury. Okay. So it's too dangerous for me to work with dogs. Right, anyway. okay. Um, but what I say to people, especially if I'm working with aggressive dogs and women, yeah. is I say to them, um, when you hold the lead... Mm-hmm. There's a little technique called nipples leading, which is just stand and let your nipples lead the way. Okay. So if you've got a really bad posture, all you have to do is think nipples leading and you'll automatically... Push your shoulders back. Push your shoulders... Well, you'll lift your, your chest, chest up. Yep. Rather than uh, pushing your shoulders back because that grip brings in tension. Okay. So you'd lift your rib cage, and then i just get you to walk down the street and think, I'm a goddess with a dog. Okay. And and if you just say that over and over again, I'm a goddess of the dog, I'm a goddess of the dog. Yep. And then the dog goes, I'm with the goddess. And it's kind of, it's amazing. The the whole, it's this mindset thing. Okay. The whole change in energy yep. is quite amazing because all of a sudden you're walking tall, you're walking with really good posture and your head is in the right place as well. Okay. The dog just trots along beside you. And dogs really do pick up then on your yeah. mindset and if energy. you're... And if you're feeding a dog, like if you if you someone's working with a, a dog, they're feeding that that dog automatically knows 
Oh, I'm, the, I'm in control here. Um, yeah, I mean, dogs can smell the changing hormones and they'll be able to smell the release. It's yeah. so crazy, isn't it? It's so and clever. They've, they've got 220 million scent receptors. We've only got 5 million. They've got 220 million. Okay. And so... Um, and, and smell is quite amazing. It's the only mm. one of the senses that transcends time. So okay. you can walk into a room and go, Fuss, somebody's been cooking bacon in here, for yeah. example. Or you can walk into a lift and smell perfume. Yeah. Or, um, you know, stale smells. Well, dogs yeah. can smell back through time. So it's not just what they can smell now. But, but I mean, she could probably smell what you had for breakfast last week, you know. That's crazy. And that's why, I guess, dogs are used in criminal cases as well. So clever. They really are man's best, man and woman, man, human best friend, aren't they? Yeah, they are. They're amazing. And you've got two. I've got two. Yeah, and you were talking about how different it can be to have two. Yes. And how you need to really... Yeah. I mean... Almost like children, almost. It's like children. Second dogs, and it's like you need to yeah. give the first... You have to give them attention. And having two is not twice as much work as having one. It's like a lot more work than having one a lot lot more so when you bring a puppy in you have to split everything up so you have to make sure that you don't um you don't leave the puppy to the dog yep. because then it becomes the dog's puppy and not your puppy yeah and so you keep them apart as much as you can so yep. that you bond with the puppy or the puppy bonds with you okay and not with the grown-up dog first because they speak the same language whereas you don't you see so you yes. have to have that you have massive that bond. bond with the puppy first okay um but then you have to split your time between the existing dog and the new dog. And you've got to walk them separately because the puppy can't have the same amount of exercise okay. as the big dog Yep. Uh, for about 10 months. So, if, so for yep. the first eight months, they'll be walking them separately. You'll be training them separately. Everything will be split between the two dogs. And and then as the puppy gets stronger and its bones start to... Um, strengthen up and its ligaments get tight yep. then it can start getting walked with a big dog but really you're talking 10 months it's a long time isn't nine it? or 10 months walking yep. them separately because they've got different exercise requirements yep. so you have to really split your time um, but then you have to make sure that you don't neglect the first dog Yeah. and you don't you know because you'll be shattered I mean it's like having a new baby in the house you'll be absolutely exhausted and but you still have to make time for that older dog because otherwise they'll Oh, they'll be sad and feel heartbroken, probably. If you well, don't. they might just resent the puppy and they might, you know... That could cause problems. Yeah. yeah. God, it's so interesting. I just, I love basically it's everything that you've said today. Like, yeah, I'm just like, great. wow. Yeah. So how can people get in touch with you then? How can people find out more? Um, my The books is The Peck on Dog. So if they yeah. type in The Peck on Dog, they'll find all the information on the dog side of it. Oh. And my empowerment side is lesgram.com. Okay. But if you type in lesgram with a Z, yep. you'll get everything on me. Brilliant. In Google, lesgram, you'll find what you need to find. Amazing. Well, 100% up for your course in October. <laughs> so we'll definitely um, be promoting that. That's amazing. And just keep in touch with everything else you're doing because it can all go up as well. Thank you. Well, thank you so much for being on the podcast. That was amazing. That was great. Thank you. Not I really enjoyed all. it. Speak to you soon. Thank you.